I turned it back a little bit. There we go. A little cold. Uh, yeah, it depends on how busy you just were, if it feels good or not. Yeah. All right, well, um, good to see you. We didn't get to meet last week. Uh, there's a video, it didn't get released, but we'll, uh, I'll make sure that it's uh, for the text that we didn't get to do this for last week, the centurion, <coughs> important stuff. And I'd love to run through it right now, but good. we got enough on our plate. And all right, so. Well, our tea went very well. Yeah, I heard it was. 59 people. Yeah, all right. Yes, it was really. It was. It was. It was, it was uh, good to be together, but mm -hmm. laugh and just a joyous time. Yeah, one of the four things in Acts 2.42 that the church devoted themselves to was fellowship. So it's really important that we do things like that and that we, uh, you know, more than do this. But this is one of those devoted things too. So as we, things to devote ourselves to. So as we go into it, Father, thank you for the devotion that we see in your heart. Uh, may it be within our ability to hear and speak and to have conversation and enjoy fellowship and uh, enjoy our communion with our God and with each other. And pray that you would grow in us those things that, uh, that are within your word ready for us to come into. I uh, thank you for everything that Leonard put forward and everything from his mouth that, uh, that you put forward via your word, which does not return void. And I pray thanking you for the work that uh, it's accomplishing in the hearts of those who heard. Um, may it continue. May you continue to gain ground in people's hearts uh, by your sovereign grace and your compassion and your might. I pray that that would take place in here as we go forward into the very same text. And for those around the building who are learning in the texts that they're in, pray that you would bless your word here in this church. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, so there's there's a lot of uh, themes throughout the things that, uh, throughout the just the few verses, I think just what, six six or seven verses that are that we had today. And it's it's pretty full. And but there's three main things that I just thought well, that we'll focus on. Leonard focused on them in a great way today, and that's compassion, namely the compassion of God. Mercy ministry, how we take care of widows and orphans, that's throughout scripture. And the major theme that we'll see is the power of God over death. Um, and so this text that we're about to get back into and read again, um, this is like the one sign that seals for certain, his messiahship. Like if he can raise someone from the dead, it can be nobody else. Who else has that power? And um, and next week when he's gonna he, he's gonna confirm his message to John the Baptist, who's suffering in jail and he's confused. And we'll get there next week. But um, he's gonna one of the things he's saying when John the Baptist asks, "Is this the guy?" He says, "The dead are raised." He can say that after this event. So, verse eleven and. Luke's in Luke 7. Here we go. Soon afterward, all right, after what? We just were with the centurion last week where Jesus kind of loves the enemies of, in the land, uh, modeling his own teaching and so much more. Um, 
And, and once again, that video will be dropped again from last week, so you guys can will be up to speed on it. Um, but soon after this, Leonard said about 24 hours, as that's the time it took to get to Nain. He went to a town called Nain. And you heard Leonard preaching today about Elijah, Elisha. Uh, the location of Nain, and this is, this is where you kind of see the sovereignty of God um, just present within the text if you do a little studying. The hill that Nain was located on, the other side of the very same hill, which is called uh, Shunem, is, called, is the name of the hill. Like the, they named their mountains Mount Hermon, Mount Carmel, Mount Zion. Um, the hill was the other side of the hill where Elijah did his miracle in Kings. The very other side of the hill. Same place. So if you grew up with the scriptures and you lived in the place that the scriptures are about and then Jesus comes to town and does the very same thing but doesn't do it as Elijah did, having to touch and pace back and forth and wonder and, uh, and make these claims, Jesus comes in and does it with his mouth, that's something. And his, all right, so soon after he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Leonard said this crowd could have been upwards of a thousand people. As he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. He was leaving the city. If you've ever heard the term leave the city, it's like a, a metaphor for death. He's left the city. In, Jew in a Jewish culture, when someone dies, you brought them out of the, out of the city and they were buried because the, 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 the gathering place of God is supposed to be a place of life. Um, and they were buried outside the city, no cemeteries within the city. He was leaving the city, being carried out, and the, son, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Okay, so, right off the bat, she had no husband to carry out the godly mandate for all men who enter into the covenant of marriage to love, serve, lead, protect, provide, to look after her heart and help her carry the load of her burdens. She was a widow, she didn't have this. And now, fresh on her heart, she has no son to take over in the man's stead. In that culture, uh, the son, a son, uh, would take over providing for his mother where the husband had passed, where, her, where his father, her husband had passed. Now she has no boat. Now she has neither. So she's in a vulnerable position, heart-wise and society-wise. Modern-day feminism would say, great. You don't need anyone but you, especially a man. Modern-day feminism uh, has little knowledge of what a man is, and neither do modern-day guys. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So there's today's crowd. Let's compare this, this crowd to today's crowd. This crowd was mourning the loss, weeping over the tragedy. Death is, vile. Death is a vile fiend and unnatural and inevitable versus today's crowd. Disattached onlookers celebrating the freedom of a new life, a new start, a fresh start. Death is accepted today, presumably a new start. Death is natural and inevitable. We'll get more into that in a second. But. And this is where two crowds 
A great crowd went with him, Jesus, and a great crowd was come, and a considerable crowd from the town. Two crowds are running into each other here. Death and life, led by Jesus. Let's see which one prevails as we go further. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Compassion, that Greek word, that, that fun Greek word that we learned today, none of us probably remember, but splunk nizomai, the fun one, um, means that he felt it, that, like in his bowels, it says. So like, it's in he, if you've ever experienced something, like you feel it in your guts, in your deep being, so like where we get the phrase gut-wrenching, So what's wrong here? What triggers it? Death. There's something wrong with death. Death is not natural. It's common. It's inevitable. But it's not natural. Death is why? Because death is not a part of his original, intended, perfect, good design. We were never meant to die. That's why the guys and the, uh, the, the people in the Old Testament, they were, Adam and Eve were meant to be eternal as it was everybody else who came from them, and that's why they lived so long. And so when we see such and such lives living for 900 and some years, and then as you read the Genesis further, 800, 700, six, and then God says, okay, only 120. And you ask yourself why, so we can see how far we've fallen. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's how they yeah, dealt I mean, with that. You know, uh, a year's been a year ever since God <laughs> spun the planet, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I probably would too. We only celebrate once a year now. Oh, even then, well, it's 12 divided by 5. We want to make things more reasonable. So yeah. the miracles and stuff, we always try to find a reason for other things. Yeah. Kind of invent a reason for the things we. Yeah. Another thing too is, the Lord told him not to cry. If I said that to somebody, they'd slap me. Still. We'll get to that. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm yeah. Divided by twelve is fifty-eight. So yeah. That's so if that's the case, fifty-eight. That's, yeah. 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 They're just saying. <laughs> Thank you. Handy with the math. All right, so, yeah. He, Jesus, hates death. If you read, like, it parallels a little bit. If you look at, at John 11, you see Lazarus. And you'll see Jesus out the tomb, and it says that he was angry. That's all our, that's what our English says. And that gets the point across. But, the, like, the, the, if you get into the language and you, like, look at the meaning of the Greek words there, in the, like, it would say their anger means, like, in the original language, means that he snorted like a bull, is what the Greek word there means. Like, Jesus snorted like a bull at death. He hates death. He came. He hates death, but he loves us. So out of compassion on us, he stops death. It's the one enemy that beats us all, 
the undefeated enemy where the enemy of our soul, Satan, and the enemy of our flesh, our sinful nature, leads us to the, to the last enemy, as 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, and death is the last enemy, leads us to that, and which leads us to eternal death, hell. All of these, Satan, sin, death, and hell, are what Jesus definitively defeated on the cross for us. Took out all four of these enemies, all four uh, which were encased in the curse that we bore on ourselves and from our first parents. This is the compassion he had in his guts when he looks at his people. This is why he puts on flesh. This is why he comes. This is why he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself to the form of a servant. He came to defeat death. Many who have enemies want to bring them to death. Jesus came to save his enemies from death by his death and rise from death, putting death to death. And, and again, he had compassion. It was genuine. It wasn't hired. As, as Leonard said in the sermon, there were professional mourners who would follow you around in the aftermath of a tragedy like a death. And they were paid to act like they were all busted up about it. They would be fake crying. Yeah, it was a profession of the day. I kind of get it, but I, at the same time, no, Jesus is genuine here. He feels it. It's genuine, it's not hired, it's selfless, not agendized, not, there's nothing in it for Jesus. There, it's authentic, not a show, it's heartfelt, not, hip, not hypocritical, it's actual, not acting. It feels the weight and carries the weight in empathy that moves to bearing the weight in presence, not just following the weight, adding to the weight. Like, how good is the knowledge of Jesus to to the lonely and the lowly. Because this woman was destitute now. This is the heart of God. This compassion, this deep felt in his guts. In the flesh that he put on, he felt it there. This empathy that is hard to feel. The kind of compassion that he felt. We all, we, like we want this, but if we actually felt it, I don't know if we could take it. Um, this is the heart of God, and honestly, I'd be satisfied if all Christianity was, was this story. Do you have someone who can defeat death? And we can see that here. You have someone who has compassion. You have someone who is invincible, who can do what no one else can. You have a people helped and served. Later on, you'll have witness, fear, and worship good kind of fear, a great prophet risen among us, God has visited his people, you have faith, and the whole thing is grace. If all Christianity was, was this tiny six, six or seven verses, it's enough to be superior to anything else that the marketplace of the world could offer. And another thing about his compassion, and when, those words, and when he saw her, like, 
as Leonard pointed out, uh, the eyes of the Lord saw her. There was a lot of people who she, who she saw that day who saw her. This was a procession. This was a noticeable thing. Um, and my wife told me a few weeks ago, I remembered, uh, as Leonard was talking about funeral processions today, how we pulled over, but a lot of people just drive by now. She said in North Carolina, I think it was North Carolina, they don't just stop, they get out of their car and stand there and wait. Way to go, North Carolina. That's good. Because it's a sacred thing that's happening. It's like a life. This isn't, this, this, this isn't, it's unnatural. Death is unnatural. Yes. It says when he saw, when he, uh, when he saw her. So his compassion is for her, but also the boy gets to, uh, the the young man gets to live again. Um, I don't know. The text doesn't say, nor with Lazarus or someone else risen from, who's raised from the dead. Uh, where they were, like if they were in some just kind of state. Um, we know that when we die, these are specific, these are, this is, this is narrative and narrative isn't normative. So when we see this in the scripture, these are unique cases. This doesn't mean they count for everybody. Um, and so it says he's, he's having compassion on her. He's not leaving her destitute in the world. Uh, and then there'll come a time brought back if he went somewhere. I don't I don't know his state. Focuses on on the widow and her 
I hit that already. It's over. It's on the other side of the hill. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 <laughs> because the difference is Jesus is not only a prophet, but he's, he's Lord. Yep. And he's Lord of, of life and death. Yeah. So on the other side of the hill, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little cold. I'll, I can shut this yeah, off. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. Go ahead. Because it's it's all upstairs. Right. Oh, it's on upstairs. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. why. Okay, so I thought I turned it off. Yeah, I think I think from this one is probably small three on again, like we were talking about. Okay. Yeah. Because the ultimate pur uh, purpose of the story that we're reading here um, is the glory of God and Jesus being confirmed as the Messiah through this sign. Which he, he needs to fulfill. He needs to resurrect. Uh, he needs to be seen um, as his credentials of the Messiah. His credentials need to be seen that he could had power over life and death. So it's it's amazing that he had compassion, but that's a secondary thing. It's amazing that uh, she now has someone to help her through life, um, and that he gets his life back. It's amazing, but it's more amazing that they get to be used for this purpose to point to Jesus through this story. Um, he was doing the Lord's will. Then the he, Father's will. Yep. Everything that Jesus does is the Father's will. He doesn't do a thing apart from him, according to the book of John. Uh, he does everything the Father tells him to do. Uh, and what Lennon was saying there, just to make the afterlife... Um, yes. So when we die, we go to one or two places, up or down, easy as that. Um, simple to understand is that one of these is Hades. Hades is not the final destination. The final destination is hell. We read in the book of Revelation that all of Hades will be thrown into, into hell, which is the final location. But you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, it, like Hades is the holding tank until the eternal destination. Paradise is that same thing, but where the righteous go to be with the Lord until a new creation, new heavens, new earth, and, and forever with the Lord there. If that helps you. Um, okay, so, and when, is where we left off, the very moment. So as soon as he saw her, uh, he didn't way out, rather she was worthy of his compassion, he just felt it, it was there. And of course, like she's not worthy of it, none are. But his compassion goes forward, that's sovereign grace. She didn't do a thing. She was just in a, in a state that he didn't mean for his people ever to feel. And it's just, who the Lord is. Like this knowledge should well up uh, praise in our hearts that praise that even though we're by nature are rebels, he by nature abounds in steadfast love, Exodus 34, 6, for those who are recipients of his glory. And he's holy and in no way will allow death to swallow one he showed merciful compassion to the one he's pardoned. His power over death is the pardon by grace through faith, which we, by which we have life. His power over death is the power of our justification when we believe in it by faith, receive it by grace. That's the first thing. And he said to her, do not weep. 
Now, she has every reason to reap, like Joe said. This would be a tremendously insensitive thing to say, but it's Jesus. Her vulnerable, her vulnerable position was vulnerable because it meant that society was now going to overlook her. Like, this crowd that's following her would probably, maybe, be the last compassion that she received from people. Crowd, the march of mourners that she has received. Now, this is why Jesus commands us namely uh, and explicitly, and it's throughout the Bible, to take care, to look after the widows and orphans. They're often the largest and last people, the overlooked and undercared for, those vulnerable to the grinding wheel of society. They might as well be leopards count among lepers count among them. There was no government assistance at the time, and oftentimes women had to resort to begging or prostitution. That's what she had to look forward to. That that was what was in front of her, unless she was like some other uh, women in scripture, like who had um, lucrative things that they were doing. But just the we don't get that picture. church is to give attention to these. Jesus exemplifies what his word has already taught. And so let's look at some scripture about this, because this is from beginning to end. This is Exodus 22, 22 through 24. God takes this seriously as he does all things. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Take this pretty serious. That's how much he loves people. So that when we treat them in a way that is not in alignment with his love, his wrath, which is, comes from his love, because the more you love something, the more you'll protect it, the more you'll fight for it, the more you'll, it'll well up within you to... Psalm 68, verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. <clears throat> Isaiah 1, 16 through 17, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the, e remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do what is good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Um, in Acts 6, deacons are born out of, the, out of the needs of widows. Galatians 2, 9, Peter, James, uh, and John exhort Paul in his, and his missionary partners to remember the poor, something that he, Paul was already doing and doesn't forget, but still. Um, it was an emphasis, emphasis in the apostolic um, moving forward. Uh, James 1.27, which we hit today, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows, Leonard, I like what you did with this earlier, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world, active in the world, not a part of the world. Okay. Uh, you know, I was going to add to that, there's a backstory to 
David being the king, and yeah. that is what happened with his grandmother. You know, you think about Naomi and Ruth, mm-hmm. and Naomi losing her two sons and her husband, and all she has is Ruth. Yeah. And Naomi says, from now on, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, which means bitterness. Yeah. You know, and then Ruth comes alongside her and says, Messiah has a huge backstory of widow and orphan. Yeah. In in, in where he came from through David, through through King David. Yeah, and we could talk about David. David has to bury one of his sons, Abner, I think his name was, and um, and they're in this this very same procession like this, and it says that David was weeping and the whole, and everybody was weeping around him, and it was this very same kind of setting, and. Um, he is the great king, the great um, man after God, like the great like precursor to Christ, like it's going to be like David, or he's going to be like David. Yeah, Second Samuel. But seven, yes, but he sit on your throne forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and even David doesn't have the power that this perfect king comes, because Jesus is the true and better David. Rich, I have king. a question. Yes. I personally don't know any orphans. Mm-hmm. I know in years ago there was orphanages. I don't even know if there's any around. Is there? I've never heard of any. You know, there there used to be homes that people would go to. Yeah. That was a, that was a thing. Um, cultures change a lot since, like, when my my mom was young. There would be homes that that orphans would go to go to the orphanage. That was not an unusual thing. And there would also be homes where people. Lots of widows, but yeah. you know, I, when I think about it, I've never yeah. actually known an orphan. Like yeah. this young child. Yeah. They're, they're more absorbed into the extended family. So they are orphans from their yeah. mom and their father, but they're like provided by, by their grandmother or an aunt or an uncle yeah. or even yeah. a cousin. Yeah. I mean, there are orphans. And then they're put out for adoption. Right. You know, those are orphans. You know, kids who are adopted. Mm -hmm. In other countries, we're so modern. take that in a literal sense or do we take it in a spiritual sense before I received Christ I was an orphan mm-hmm. but now I'm not an orphan no more yeah. I'm a son of God and so we're supposed to go around and being the orphans as we see it today or are all I, I think in this case it, it, was, it, was literal, it was literal orphans yeah. whereas Paul uses a lot of metaphor metaphorical <laughs> language to talk about 
the temporal specific problem that we're called to that we're called to address, and it's also an eternal, all-encompassing problem that we all are orphans, as you said, until until we can until we can name God the Father. Yeah. Um, so if you read Matthew twenty-five, sheep and goats, willing and stubborn. Um, Essentially, it's when you see a need, address it. That, that's good. That's, that's, good. that's it. And it's as simple as that. That's good. It's like they have no husband and no father. Uh, Jesus comes along as the perfect husband with God, the perfect father. So if he is in that role as perfect husband, perfect father, and he expects, uh, and we're to be, and bear that Christ-likeness within us to feel what he feels uh, towards those in the world who... Uh, are in need, and we'll, we'll see that here. Um, and then this is mercy ministry. Um, and we can read a lot about it. If you go to First Timothy, I was almost went through this, but I'm just if you write this down and go see like what this ministry looks like in action, uh, as as defined by Paul. If you go to First Timothy five three through sixteen, Paul gives a what like what this mercy ministry with widows and with orphans in there looks like. Um, who qualifies, what counts. Um, and yet he doesn't forget them, nor should his people neglect them. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back him for his deeds. Uh, Deuteronomy 14, 29 says uh, about taking care of the Levite, the sojourner, uh, fatherless, widows, there they are, um, are with who are within your towns, like within, like this is a pro, like this is what like if what you see around you, like God uses the local church in the world, and as the most powerful thing in the world to address the needs of the world. So what you see, whether it's in your grasp, in your sight, in our sight, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made and specifically placed uh, to be Jesus walking up to the gate in the world. Um, he says, those within your towns shall uh, shall come and eat and be filled, and the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands that you do. So he'll help you serve them. There's also single moms, divorcees, trafficking victims, and anybody else in desperate need of this mercy ministry. But the older women, the widows, who are alone, as Paul says, and in need, are the ones that the church is to bear the burden for. Uh, this is what Paul's talking about. This is a good ministry opportunity, especially for women, as a, a man might not be the best choice in every uh, in every case, and it wouldn't be appropriate for man to operate in that capacity uh, in certain situations. Um, and also, what we see with Jesus coming up here, people we've been seeing people coming up to him for through throughout his ministry. He's going up to people too, so he's not just like kind of there available. He's there active. Uh. I think too the, um, the the culture is obviously changing, but I think I think some of them, the widow women, they're something like they had to reduce to prostitution and things just to mm -hmm. live, yeah. or to, you know have money for their children. Begging or prostitution. Attention. We do 
do that because we're so absorbed in ourselves anymore. That that ha has happened. We turn like other countries still have orphanages and widows that struggle so much more in the United States because the United States is more about money. So we would rather pay to have children taken care of the programs of fostering or adoption, things like that, um, instead of in a church. Yeah. And if we're widows, I mean, we would rather pay out taxes and money and have programs to the government and have the mm -hmm. government control it than for the Christians to control it, I think. Sometimes yeah. I think we want the government to do what the church should be doing. Should do, and that's yeah. exactly what happens. That's not the government's function. It's nice that we provide assistance to an extent, but the church is to be that uh, system at play in the world to help these things. Like when a few years ago when we had uh, a lot of Guatemalan children got their parents were taken away and uh, just Sean and Jerry Conrad had hosted some children in her house. That's what it looks like. Uh, and some of you helped with that as well. stressed out until last night when I put it together into the how yeah. what to hit yeah. <laughs> how to organize yeah. that yeah. well it just shows you how people kind of want it both ways they really don't want the responsibility but then we see that the government is not working out so well either mm -hmm. you know we want the government to have the power but then we don't Yeah. Um, and we see how the government is only a hand, you know so many people they can't do it all properly yeah and so that's you're... where we need to quit letting the government control it and the people take it back over and do the way they should be doing it i think i think the government is so
so, I mean, that more government employees than average. I think they're so top-heavy of bureaucracies, they're nothing to a government. Right. And it's a situation, it's a, it's something that God put in place for a specific person, for perfect, uh, purpose, for a specific purpose, but it was never meant to care for us in his stead. It, it, it helps us, it pushes back the evil in the world, it's supposed to do some good, um, but ultimately, the perfect number being a seven, you see throughout scripture, when you read Revelation, God is the only seven, seven, seven. The government's a six. Our spouses were six, they're, we're not there. The weight of being perfect, only God can bear the weight. Everything else, sixes. God, seven. Six, 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 the most incomplete number, or uh, not complete number. There's also three, that's why there's three sixes. It, it means completely incomplete is what six, six, six means. If you were thinking about that, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff about that, but that is. We took a side trail. I took us yeah. down some. No, it's all right because government because government has taken on the role of yep. being the savior in these places. Yeah. And and in reality, part of being a safe human being is we're going to act redemptively in these places mm -hmm. where people are hurting and, and and give glory to God. Yeah. You know, not to the government. And it's just for everybody's comfort. It's not a microchip. It's not a vaccine. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. on your on your forehead and your hand. This is the, this is how you think and how you operate your hands throughout scripture. Revelation doesn't say anything that the Bible already hasn't said. And so it, you're operating in a six beast dragon mentality um, when all your reliance is on the government. We're to look on to the seven, but moving on. <laughs> uh, and we'll, 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 we'll finish out here. Um, and then he came up, this is my, this became my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible over this week. And then he came up and touched the bearer in the procession of people, just to bring us back to the story, we were talking dragons and six, anyway. Uh, he came up and touched the bearer and the bearer stood still. Jesus is stopping the procession of death in its tracks. And that's my favorite part. And he wasn't defiled by doing this. If he touched the coffin, some, I think one of some translations say coffin, he touched, he would have been defiled. Jesus wasn't defiled, death was, because he beat it. And he said, and he said that phrase, that's the second time he says, and he said, 
young man, I say to you, arise. Uh, I won't get too far into this, but Augustine, probably my favorite of the old church fathers, he said, uh, God created everything ex nihilo. Ex nihilo, that means out of nothing. And that we saw it last week, it's by his word that Jesus is doing things. Uh, the centurion, he said, had, had this miraculous faith. It's miraculous because faith is a gift of God. Uh, it's granted to us to believe. Uh, amen. Um, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus says the world, young man, I say, get up. Or let me, young man, I say to you. It's that I say to you. It's the his words. It's the him and it's his words. Arise. One word does what? No medicine, no care, humanly speaking, has ever accomplished the word of God. And he's, and, and, and just tells the guy you're not allowed to be dead anymore. And there's an event coming at the end of time for everybody in Christ, the dead in Christ will rise and will be with the Lord forever. It's called the resurrection of the dead. Or the resuscitation of the living, however you want to think about it, I don't know. The dead man sat up and began to speak. Dead men don't speak. It's just saying he's actually alive. His speaking is proof of life. He's conscious. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. There's spots when you see the resurrections happening in a few places that they do through scripture. And, uh, and Elijah gave him back to his mother. And Elisha gave him back to his parents. Uh, there's a boy that will be later on after the transfiguration. But, uh, uh, somewhere later, I think, in this. I don't know. Where Jesus gives him back to his father. Fear seized them all. That's the appropriate response. Who else has this ability, if God is sovereign over life and death, than parting the seas, flooding the earth, and any massive thing he does back then that we read about, we, now that we have to look forward to, is a Tuesday to him, if you're sovereign over life and death. And it also tells us that there's no place that we can hide from him. Like Psalm 139 says, if I go up to heaven, there you are. If I go down to Sheol, there you are. You're my right, my left, above, behind, through. And they glorified God. That's appropriate response, part D. Number one, witness. Number two, fear. Number three, worship. Those are the throughout scripture for the appropriate responses and commands of God. And they glorified him, saying, A great prophet has risen, has risen among us. God has visited his people. They've already said this about him earlier in Luke's gospel. And, and this report about him spread throughout all of Judah and the surrounding countryside. So imagine hearing the news. Partly sunny, the Jericho, <laughs> the Jericho camels beat the Jerusalem palms in baseball, and goat cheese is on sale, and there's a man raising people back from the dead. <laughs> Could this be our Messiah? He's different. So throughout scripture, there are, uh, there are only childs of parents, seemingly single parents. Uh, from Abraham to the book of Judges to stories throughout Jesus' ministry. These occurrences are numerous throughout Scripture. Stories of death and suffering, most noticeable, Jesus himself, the only begotten Son of the living God. The widow's son was her only son being carried out dead. Jesus is God's only son, bringing life, stopping the procession of death, and bringing life to the city. Death is going out, life is coming in in Christ. <laughs> This is 
the one death that takes the sting of death away from death for all who will believe. So when we look, so when we leave the city, we don't find a mournful burial, but a place prepared. I go to prepare a place for you. As Christians don't die. Our, body goes, our bodies go into repose. We breathe our last. We never die. Not with how God defines death. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's instant. You can't put a piece of paper between it. Kind of instant. A new city. An open pasture. That's what's before us. A gracious gift from a compassionate Lord. So, I wrote a prayer down. I don't like to read prayers, but if we could pray, and then I'll we could talk for we got a few minutes. I got to go get my wife and the kids. But Father, thank you for the deep compassion that you released on us from looking upon the state that we're in. Ravaged by sin, Satan, death, and hell. Blind to it and loving it in our first nature. And then you come calling. And you stop those things. And the knowledge of Christ, his perfect life, satisfying the demands of the law and his death on the cross. Taking our place rising to life, defeating all that we were blind to and loved. Thank you for this. Thank you for the great peace and joy that we have. And also, we get to encourage each other with the news of a place prepared, open pasture, freedom from sin. We didn't care about that before we met you, but now we can see it. We can see you, and that's all we can see, and it's growing, and I thank you for that, and I pray that it would ripple out from this room and into the places you would have it go. pray that you would show us whom to have compassion on, and that we would know that compassion as you felt it when we see them, and step into the needs that we see with all the confidence that you'll give us the power to do it in love. And let us know your life as this young man who, who came back by your word. You're bringing people back to life throughout the world right now. As, as your word goes out on Sunday morning, telling us the truth, confronting us with knowledge of self, and confronting that with the mercy of everything that you are on our behalf to help us to live in the power gospel and live as though as those alive from the dead fighting as those alive from the dead and it's for your wonderful name we pray amen now what do we do with it all <laughs> keep your eyes open